The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on Chaos to Cured podcast are the speaker's own. All discussion is based on our own experiences. We do not and cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information. Chaos to Cured podcast cannot give medical or health advice. All discussion is based upon our personal experiences and meant for general and educational purposes. This podcast is not a substitute for professional help or for diagnostic purposes for yourself or another. Cast Cured Podcast always encourages you to consult an appropriate professional. Cast Cured Podcast is here to explain our perspective of the human experience. We hope it leads to questions, learning, wisdom, and knowledge. Welcome to the Chaos to Cured podcast, where we are diving into lots of different issues and, you know, just interesting topics. Um, and we're, we're trying to dive deep, um, myself and my amazing co-host, um, so Jeffrey Freed. Um, I would love uh, for our listeners uh, who are not familiar with Jeffrey. Jeffrey, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Um... Jeffrey Freed is my name, and uh, teaching is my game. I have worked with, I work one-on-one -on -one with people, which is interesting. I don't really teach in a classroom anymore. I really haven't for 35 years. Um, I work with visual learners. Now, boy, I've learned a lot. So I started out working with all visual gifted learners, and then they moved on to ADD. And now I'm working with people on the spectrum. I'm an author. I've written a pretty popular book called Right Brain Children in a Left Brain World that a lot of people have heard of. It's really sold a lot and it's sold all over the world. And it's my techniques and it's my critique of education and teaching. I almost hesitate to beat on um, educators at this point because they're so beaten down. Um, there's just no life left in teachers. They, they get it from everybody. And it's like punching, I guess it's punching down at this point to flog educators. So I won't do that. But there's some fundamental reasons why that are really common sense, why education is, is flailing. And I feel I know why, um, I'm well equipped to know why. So what do you think of that, Kirk? Well, First of all, it's a phenomenal introduction. And uh, to anyone listening, that was a right or right brain children in a left brain world. And that was a New York Times bestseller. And it has phenomenal advice for any individual um, or family member or friend that is dealing with um, ADHD or even, you know, uh, they're on the spectrum. Um, it's it's going to help people with any kind of mental health issue because it deals with some of the things that we're going to talk about, like creativity, and we'll do an entire show on that um, at some point. But, you know, you jumped right into education, and that was something we were going to talk about. And this is probably going to be, for our listeners, you know, a multiple-part series because there's no way we can address every single issue with education, you know, just in one, you know, 30-minute or 40-minute podcast. So, um let, let's just jump in. And so in your opinion, what are, and you and I both work 
both with teachers and with parents and with the individuals. So we work kind of with all different facets of the, the system, if you want to call it that. Um, so, and with lots and lots of individuals. So we're, we're well equipped to, to deal with this particular question. So what do you see as being the number one, the biggest, largest problem in the education system right now? All right, there's at least 12, but I'll start out with what I perceive to be the, the biggest problem. Well, classroom size is too big. Um, all the research suggests that the ideal classroom size is six or eight to one, and that's not going to happen. But the other really important one, the elephant in the room, is teachers must teach to everybody, and they can't because they're, the variations of learning styles in that classroom is ridiculous. Um, and that's a big secret. People do not all learn alike or even vaguely learn alike. You have the favored sons and daughters who learn in a linear sequential fashion. And these are the people that usually thrive in education, especially if they're above average IQ, they don't have to be brilliant. But, you know, like 110 IQ, 100, 120, and they learn through repetition. They're word-based thinkers. They like to read out loud. They are really, there's a strong correlation in how quickly they can regurgitate facts and how well they know it. And they like to write. Um, they're not really good at art, but they can function. They're just average but they're really good in rote subjects, R-O-T-E. They love them. They, they learn sequentially, which means, and this is a subtle differentiation. People who, who learn in a rote fashion, they, because they think in steps, because the linear word-based, more left hemispheric learners, they early on learn that if you use steps and logic, you will arrive at nirvana, nirvana being the answer. And what ends up happening is schools, they teach great to people like that because you know, it's not really an art form to teach to linear sequential people. You just throw the material out there, give them a lot of repetition and they get better. And they learn early on in life to that steps matter, showing your steps matter, but they have weaknesses too. A lot of times they're not very creative or imaginative and don't think outside the box. Because remember, they learn early on, if you follow the rules, you will be successful. And schools are still, they, they would deny this, but they're still, they still lean to this type of a learner. Um, the worksheets, they like worksheets, they ask for worksheets, um, they like taking timed math tests, they like taking spelling tests, they learn the rules in spelling, and words are more familiar as, I mean, they learn through words. These are people, these linear sequential students, these are people who, if you could crawl inside their brain, they would be thinking mostly in words. They can learn foreign languages, usually pretty well. 
not spectacularly, but anything word-based, they're good at. Their weaknesses is, are, again, that they, they can't skip steps. They don't see the large picture. And they tend to be consistent. That's not a weakness. But they tend to be consistent, but they're not usually spectacular. They don't have, in, you know, like insights uh, that the, the other side have. And the other side are the more visual, right hemisphere dominant learners who I work with. And, and they're, they're char- they, their brains are characterized as seeing things in images. If you could crawl inside these people's brains, you wouldn't be hearing much. You'd be seeing stuff. A lot of them tend to think not only visually, but spatially. They see things in, in three dimensions. They can flip and rotate objects in space, but they are not good at time tests. They love novelty and they totally eschew repetition. They find it really boring and pointless because they don't learn that way. Um, They know intuitively they don't learn that way. These are people that are really, really good in most cases at seeing the essence of people. And they're very perceptive. They read body language. They, they look beneath the words, again, to see what the person is really like, their essence. They do really well for teachers that honor and respect and like them. And they do terribly for teachers who, you know, are just dispensers of information or maybe don't like them because they're more difficult to teach. And the, 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 the other elephant in the room, and there are more than one or two, is that the numbers of people who are visual, spatial, creative, intuitive, picture thinking, you know, humans, their numbers are increasing. Where the more linear, sequential people, their numbers are staying the same or dwindling. So if you have a school system that is teaching primarily to the linear sequential people and leaving out the visual, spatial, creative, intuitive people, they're not going to be reaching as high a percentage of students as they used to. And that, Kirk, is what's happening. That's really interesting. Um, You know, when you were mentioning worksheets, first thing that I thought of was where all my worksheets ended up which were typically at the bottom of my locker or the bottom of my backpack and absolutely in a heap or crumpled up. Um, Half of them weren't turned in. Um, You know, it was, and I'd find things from years before, you know, uh, that is how I function. And what, what people don't grasp um, is that, you know, especially me with OCD and generalized anxiety, I don't like, mess i don't like the in in a lot of ways i'm kind of against how my own mind works yeah so i i kind of am in a constant battle so a lot of the things you mentioned with when you have you talk about like linear learners um and sequential um those are things that are very valuable in a school setting um as you had mentioned Um, I just wanted to say, you know, as everybody listens, uh, just as a quick disclaimer, you know, we, this show is never intended to diagnose or advise treatment or um, any way, shape or form 
uh, give medical advice or financial advice or anything. But um, we do, I do want to bring up the fact that a lot of those learners that the school system is not getting to are dealing with something that is not neurotypical. Um, yep. As you had mentioned, um, you know, we're seeing massive spikes in numbers. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, all of the stuff you mentioned, uh, like, you know, sitting in uh, a room and uh, again, going through the steps and teaching to somebody who learns in that way. Um, I love having students that are able to do that because I can follow a pretty consistent format. Right. Um, I loved how you mentioned that. The other thing is what I love about working with individuals is that I have to adapt because the only way, like you said, everybody learns differently. The only way to actually teach anything properly, in my opinion, is really one-on-one, -on -one, which is never going to happen. Um, nope. uh, no. It, well, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, um, I know, you know, mentorships is something that I feel were vital um, for so many skills yep. long ago. Great. And it's not looked at. It's almost looked down upon. It's like, oh, you didn't go to college. You did, you know, you went off and became a master's electrician. Honestly, that's a great job and it takes a lot of work. It's a different career path, but those are sometimes looked down upon um, by, again, we, even our society is built to fit that linear thinker as well. Um, our job application process, That's everything. wrong with oh, it too. Because you know, those people, I've got to, I've got to interject. Go for the it. The people that you described, the linear sequential, um, maybe majority are the people that are not creative, not intuitive, and don't think outside the box, but they show up. Well, most of the challenges in our culture now need spontaneity, creative thinking, because obviously what we're doing isn't working, or, th or this would be a more efficient society, and it's so inefficient. Nothing works. Well, not nothing works, but, but many things don't work. Um, government is inefficient, um, education is inefficient, law is inefficient, and that's because the wrong, we need these creative visual people in positions where they can bring their creativity and intuition and people skills to, you know, to the, to the fore. They can, they can shine. And we don't have enough because the, the traditional educational system beats these people up. It convinces, gonna, it convinces them that they're broken. I was literally going to say it snuffs it out. Um, was yeah. the wording I was thinking of, you know, because um, to to me, you know, let and for people who are listening, and certainly my mom definitely fits in with more of a sequential thinker. She's brilliant and creative, um, and so is my sister. But they are much more linear and sequential in the way they think. 
Um, my sister, when she goes through a math problem, does step A, step B, step C, step D, you know, and goes all the way through. And a lot of time my mind just jumps all over the place. Um, so we're describing something. We're never talking down about it. Um, it's not bad to be one way or the other, but I do think that we're seeing a lot more people um, expressing themselves and showing how creative they are. And now you have platforms that reward creativity. So people are, you know, I feel like our society is almost incentivizing blossoming yeah. towards that um, extreme right hemispheric visual spatial um aptitude yes it, it and we're being forced there because the things that reward us um only incentivize more innovation towards those same activities that again say, just stimulate one side so it's like working one side of your arm just your bicep your you know if you don't work your tricep you're gonna have a problem but we're not doing that and we're not getting breaks. So one of the things that uh, I loved what you brought up, I think that's probably the biggest thing is that there's no way for us to really reach down and capture some of these things. And a lot of kids are falling through cracks. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like that was one. Would you expound upon your first point, like break it down? Because there's one other one that I will really want to get to as well. But I, I just want to make sure I have it clean and clear. Okay, so what's, what's happening is the, the gifted creative visual learner who may not read until they're um, six or seven, the dyslexic, dyslexic people are visual spatial, and they flip and rotate things all the time, which of course happens to letters and numbers as well, and concepts. They bloom later. They don't bloom earlier. They tend not to do well in school. Again, because we reward only one or two certain kinds of intelligences. And they think they're stupid. They grow up shamed. They many times, if you talk to them when they're older, they hated school. And so they went into pursuits where they didn't need education, formal education, which is why you see so many CEOs and entrepreneurs who didn't do well in school. They were the C students. Sometimes they were the dropouts, but they're, they're really smart. They're really out of the box thinkers and they read people real well. And of course, what you've got with that profile is you've got enormously successful people in an arena or in an economic arena where they can absolutely fly. The more linear sequential learner who loves school and got B's and A's, they're better suited for middle management. Um, they're probably not going to be a CEO because you've got to think on your feet. You've got to be creative and spontaneous. And linear people generally aren't that. They're reliable, but they're not spectacular. People I work with have the potential to be spectacular if they survive the shaming that occurs in school. That's the crime. We have, we always have people like Bill Gates or Richard Branson or Winston Churchill or General George Patton um, or even Bill Clinton, who's more visual than other people. And, and I think George Bush, to go on the other side of the political spectrum, 
these people um, are visual spatial. They didn't really do that well in school until until later, but they're brilliant. How many of those get shamed or convinced that they're stupid and go into other pursuits, which they may very well be successful at, but they tend to be anti-school, anti-intellectual, and they don't push education for their kids. They, you know, it, it's, we're rewarding one type of learner and we're getting one type of person emerging through the system, except in the areas of innovation. Those that survive school oftentimes change the world. Does that help? Yes. And, you know, it's from everything I'm looking at, you know, um, I think people are looking for solutions and um, the, the solutions are often things people don't want to hear um, in terms of, you know, go spend some time in nature a little bit more and st stay off your electronics more. Um, you know, uh, or even learn how to slow down, take a break. Um, I, I was really trying to pinpoint one of the things that I see in just, you know, the individuals I, I work with, because it's usually, you know, five years old through college is that, that span. And, um, it's always the same as they get older the you see a buildup of um fear and school is a daunting task for a lot of individuals um no matter how they think the pressure that's coming at them yep. um the amount of things everyone has to do it's not acceptable to just go on a vacation and look at something pretty you have to take a whole bunch of photographs and then you have to put it up online and then you have to send out, you know, um, explanations and then you have to do closed captioning. And then, I mean, again, it's absurd what people do on vacation or even when they go out to dinner. And I think we're, we're seeing a society that's kind of pushing again, like we said uh, before, and, um, you know, you and I have spoken about many, many times with everybody being pushed into one way of being rewarded. Um, it's making education feel less fun. Um, and then that is just one more step that kind of knocks the non-neurotypicals um, out because once they don't have interest, they're not going to stay driven in any particular subject. That's what happened with me. The first time I wasn't interested, I had one teacher that was wonderful um, and I don't need to get into details because uh, all of my teachers, I felt, really did try their best, you know. Um, but I was doing a high level of math. And all of a sudden, the next year, I had to join everybody else. And it doesn't mean that it, the gap was large. And to me, I just simply lost all interest in the subject. Um, yeah, they beat that, was, that was early on. And so I'm talking like th that was third or between fourth grade and fifth grade. So in fourth grade, I was sent off and I was working privately 
um, by myself doing algebra. And then in fifth grade, I did normal fifth grade math. Um, and I don't remember what it was, but it felt like it was like adding and subtracting fractions or something along yeah. those lines. Turning decimals into percents, percents. Yes. Percent. So it was, it was infuriating to me. And that, that I remember like thinking at that moment, I'm done. And I did not do another math problem. Truthfully, uh, you know, I did maybe five or six. I don't even know how I passed my classes. I really don't. When I went to college, I took it seriously because it was a job. I wanted to get into the engineering department or the business school. And you had to take, you know, trig and then pre-calc, calc, and uh, you had to take those just to get in. Um, so that's when I, I learned that because I kind of gave up so early, I missed the key part that everybody else had learned by doing the repetition and doing their math, they could get from step A to step B. I could get from step B to step Z of any problem. I had a very difficult time going from step A to step B because yep. I would remember, okay, there's 6,000 different ways I can do this. And I would be so overwhelmed that I would literally lock down at the beginning of the equation. If, if somebody gave me a nudge in the right direction, then the rest of it I could solve, even if the rest of the people struggled with it. Well, so, let, me, let, me, let me say something. Um, one of the huge, I see that all the time, all the students I work with deal with that, who are, they're mostly all, I mean, I work with a lot of gifted kids. Um, we're all gifted in some way, but I'm talking about intellectually gifted kids who have the brains but aren't doing well in school. And the typical thing with math is they see the answer. They, they absolutely see it, and they arrive at it in a way that is not typical. It's not sequential. And that way is discounted, and they're forced to do elementary math that is, you know, hard's easy and easy's hard for these visual spatial students. They do hard really, really well. They do easy really, really poorly. And the general philosophy of the math teacher is you have to be able to do subtraction and addition and then fractions and then percents and decimals and you, you master each step in the progress towards nirvana, once again, becoming great at math. And what ends up happening is the student who is seeing the answer in so many different ways gets bogged down with the simple stuff because the philosophy of, of them having to show their steps and master something simple before they're allowed to do something hard doesn't work. They hate the subject. When they hate the subject, they generalize hating the school, um, school period, and you get a disaster. And all of this is brought about by an absolute ignorance of the way these people, who will be a majority, these people learn. We're losing a lot, and we're creating a lot of rage. Um, people who are frustrated and know that they have something to say, that they can do hard math, very hard math, but they're bogged down. By doing easy math, which bores them, they defocus, they don't visualize, and they 
miss the easy problems, and then they're forced to do even more elemental math because to the math teacher who's going to be linear sequential virtually all the time, that means they aren't ready for hard math. This is not a this is not brain science. There's so many people that fit fit into the you know, the qualifications of what I'm talking about. And they're generally ignored and they're the best and the brightest. And for God's sakes, you can use a calculator for simple math. Use it. Use math for reasoning and coming up with patterns, which is what the right hemisphere dominant student can do. And the you know, they they spend, schools spend four or five years doing stuff that could easily be done on a calculator and don't get into the higher level math stuff. And the visual spatial learner who is, again, as hard as easy and easy as hard, just gets disgusted with it. And they leave it. The society loses a potentially brilliant mathematician or scientist. That was perfectly said. And it, you know, um, I really want to point out something important that you said. There are two things. One, that's becoming a majority. The it, it used to be far more common to have sequential linear thinkers. Um, I see the exact opposite all the time, everywhere. And um, as that becomes more prevalent and we have more frustration and struggle with going through a rigorous system, I don't even think it's necessarily always effective. I don't want to ever say college is not effective because college is phenomenal for a lot of people and education is always wonderful. But there's a big difference between education and knowledge, something we definitely need to talk about um, as I go on my tangent. Um, what I mean is when you have that many people um, going through this feeling like they have something to offer and you said like they have a voice you know you already stated something but i want to be really specific about it when they feel like they have a gift or they could be successful why can't i have that opportunity and then they look at i can't i you know i need to go to college to do this and that's scary that's struggle it's it's the it's a you know, there's nothing wrong with facing adversity and struggling and working for something that is ad admirable. But when the entire system is built against you, what comes out, you said it before, we're seeing a lot of rage. We're seeing angry people that, you know, drive and honk at each other, who cannot communicate, you see um, it in politics all the time. No one is speaking anymore. They're just shouting. And the only time anyone's ever happy is when someone else is agreeing with them, which is the oddest thing um, because I feel like some of my best experiences in life are when I am challenged and when I have to stand on my own and defend an idea elegantly. You don't have to be mean about something. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to shame somebody else. You can, you can have a discussion. And that's something that is missing because everything is rushed. 
everything uh, has I, to be done to a quota. We have to get through this documentation first before we get to this. Just like you had said, like you, you know, um, those sequential steps are killer. Um, especially if somebody's ready to leap, we yep. keep holding people to the ground that want to fly. And what did, would that make anyone feel? If you, anyone feels chained, we get explosive. And, yeah. you know, inarticulate rage. They don't know what they can't verbalize it, but they know that they're angry. They were discriminated against in school. Um, they had the ability to do really to star, to be a star. And, you know, these visual spatial gifted kids are competitive as hell. Um, that's one of the things I noticed. They really like to push themselves and put enough pressure on themselves. And so many people put pressure on people that already put pressure on themselves and they blow. They're frustrated. They can't, they, they can't star. Um, other kids start to discriminate against them and call them slow or um, not very bright. And it becomes, you know, just repressed anger. And another quick thing that I want to throw in here is part of being more right hemisphere dominant is you're going to have strong emotions, usually stronger than linear people. Everything, all emotions tend to be exaggerated in, in people who are more right brain than left brain because the right hemisphere and the parts of the brain that are referred to as the right hemisphere are the ones that deal with emotion um, and these are these are folks who have a lot of strong sensory things strong sense of smell strong sense of touch really good hearing good focusing ability but the problem is, is there's no real reward for that in school. There is in the workforce, if you're working the kind of job that values just getting it done and not worrying about steps, you know, being an explorer, being a researcher, uh, being a, a physicist, what happens is they star in occupations outside of school there's the, the point I was really trying to make, because there's so many points to make, is that when you take people who have stronger than average senses and you frustrate them, you're going to get stronger than average um, rage, disappointment, and anger. And we're seeing that. And I'm not saying that repressed educational love is something that is causing all the rage, but it is a contributor. It's, it would be such a better idea to go back to apprenticeships and, um, you know, being out in the workday world um, before you get out of school, integrating that stuff. That's the perfect environment. So the great hemisphere dominant student can see the results of all the toil that they have to do to be successful in school. Because another factor is that these visual people have to see the relevancy of what it is they're doing in order to do it. The left brain logical step-by-step -step thinker learns early on that if you follow the steps, you'll get there. 
and they trust steps and they actually revere steps. And then you get the right hemisphere dominant person who really needs to know where it's going. They have a burning need to know, why am I doing what I'm doing? With a linear sequential one, it's not a burning need. They trust that if they follow the steps, they'll get there. That's not true for the people that you and I work with. And that's never done in school. It's just assumed you do schoolwork because eventually it will lead, if you follow the steps, it will lead to success in your chosen field. And it completely leaves out the people that need to know why they're doing what they're doing. And employing apprenticeships in the stuff in the community, um, that stuff outside the classroom mixed in with the stuff inside the classroom is, is the ticket. And they're getting there. I'm not going to bash education completely, but I mean, there's some experimental schools that already do this, and I applaud them. But the teaching of basics, and certainly in the vast majority of schools, it is still, stuff is still taught the way it was 300 years ago or 200 years ago. And that's a shame because brains are now nothing like they were 200 years ago. Uh, well, and you know, the other thing is uh, they change some of the things so often I can't keep track of it. Um, so, you know, you have sure. both sides. You have some things that haven't changed that need to change and some things that really were very efficiently um, learned um, and they're, they're pushing different ways to learn them. And there's, I, I like the exploration because you can tell people really are trying educators and you know politicians and community leaders students teachers they're all trying their best to figure out what needs to be done but there's um, in a linear fashion because the kinds of people that are attracted to reforming education and you know just in education tend to be the dot the i's and cross the t types type people and um, they, they rely on tests, time tests. And what happens is they are trapped inside their learning style. Everything has to be documented. Everything needs to be timed. Everything needs to go slowly. And it's, it's killing. It's killing education. And I, I'm not going to condemn it totally because you need some of that, but you need more of the other too. But the types of brains that are leaving education are the very types of brains that should be staying. And the ones that are staying are the very wrong ones um, who should be staying. And uh, I don't see that changing. I don't either. Uh, you know, I know there are some things that, you know, and um, not that anyone should be hopeless. The one thing that's fascinating is you're watching the whole economy like kind of shift a little bit around that um, companies are having a hard time filling positions because their hiring process is based on, you know, a specific academic career path that doesn't suit the need of the mind in that particular issue, like artificial intelligence. Some of the new stuff that we're diving into is they need both the sequential thinker um, on the team, and then they need the person who's jumping all over the place. I don't like to say out of the box. 
I like to say there there is no box. They just there's nowhere they're going to they're just going to jump in random places. I typically speak like that. I find myself going in these large circles. I'll eventually come back to my whole point, um, which drives me insane actually sometimes because I get I lose track of my thoughts. But um, all of the stuff that you, you had mentioned um, with there there were really key things. I hope everybody that listens to this really pays attention because a lot of what um, Jeffrey just described, and I just want to give you kudos because I I want to go back through the transcript and read it and read it. It was really well done, and it's something that I can absolutely relate to. And there were so many times in school where I was frustrated, and um, I think a lot of times by the time people have the ability to communicate what they once felt, they've forgotten it. Um, and, or two, sometimes they no longer feel so strongly about it because I continually deal with young ones. I kind of relive it every single year. And so I'm able to analyze my past. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this kind of a podcast. Um, because the insights that you just gave um, were very helpful um, and they've grown a lot from just when you first worked with me, but it was amazing how much you helped me back then. So please, people listen um, and please write us notes, uh, subscribe, like, make a comment. And, you know, we'll, we'll revisit. This was like just part one of, you know, education. We kind of just covered a bunch of topics, but starting really with what was a big issue? Um, and I think we got to kind of maybe like two big issues, um, but just beautifully way, said. There's way yes. more. So Jeffrey, thank you so much. Uh, an amazing, um, that was really uplifting for me because it means there's people out there that really get it and get how I felt. And they're, they're fighting and trying to make Again, we want everyone to be happy because an educated society, a happy society is going to be a, you know, a prosperous one. So thank you so much for joining me today and for a beautiful show. Um, we'll, we'll be back soon with a new episode. Everyone, thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Chaos to Cared Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with everyone you know and definitely like follow and subscribe certainly leave a comment if you'd like let us know what you'd like us to talk about the next time also in our show notes there should be direct links where you can follow us on our social media as well as reach out to us directly thanks again and have a great day